if you don't have the resources to get on the internet, if you don't have a device, and even if you have a device and you have the internet, but you're working two jobs and trying to care for kids, you might just not have that 30 to 45 minutes to sit down and do the survey. So when we do access and engagement too, we really want to make sure we make it available to all. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Dr. Penny Rosenblum is well known in our field and has often taken the lead on important research projects and topics. When she started at the American Foundation for the Blind last year, that didn't change. Then, when we entered a pandemic, she responded with timely action. To share about her work during this, I have to say it, unprecedented time, we're bringing her to you. Hey, Emily, thank you so much for having me on A Sense of Texas today. I'm, I'm really glad to be here and to talk with you and the audience about the Access and Engagement Survey. Um, just to tell you a little bit about myself, um, like our respondents, I'm a teacher of visually impaired students and have been since 1986, but most of my um, time in the 90s and 2000s were spent at the University of Arizona where I prepared teachers of visually impaired students and then um, from 2012 to 2019, primarily did research. So done a lot of research around students with visual impairments, but um, the COVID-19 pandemic, as we all know, has turned our world upside down. And it's uh, really presented an opportunity for our field to come together and work to see what's going on education-wise with our children with visual impairments, including those with additional disabilities and deaf blindness, and our TVIs, teachers of visually impaired students, and our O&M specialists. So it kind of fell into my lap, but I'm really excited to be the lead researcher on the Access and Engagement uh, 1 study that we just finished, and we're going to start the Access and Engagement 2 study um, before your listeners even hear this. <laughs> so what is your current role at AFB? Is, it, are you, is research your main goal? At AFB, I'm actually the director of research. Um, our research um, team is two people, myself and Dr. Palachan is Mora, and we're housed in the Public Policy and Research Institute. So um, that's overseen by Stephanie Enyart, and then there's um, a couple policy folks, and we're the couple research folks. Yeah, great. Well, I know before we talk about the education survey, you've also been working on something called the Flatten uh, Inaccessibility Report. So what were your big takeaways from that one? And what was that what was that report about? So Flatten Inaccessibility actually came about in spring when COVID-19 was just ramping up. And uh, Troy Otio from IRA and Kirk Adams from AFB you thought, hey, let's do a little survey to find out what's going on with adults with visual impairments. And it morphed into a really big survey. So we actually ended up with 1,921 adults who completed the survey between April 3rd and 13th. And this is a really large sample for our field. So we gathered information about how healthcare, transportation, access to meals, food and supplies, concerns about voting, education, employment, you know, we got a really good feel for how early on in the pandemic, 
COVID-19 was impacting all facets of life for these 1,921 adults with visual impairments. You know, earlier um, today, I was attending a town hall that AFB put on to talk about this study. And um, one of the things that was really struck me was the discussion about voting. And given that, you know, this that's the season we're in right now, how accessible do you think voting is for adults who are blind or visually impaired? You know, I think it varies across the country. Um, and part of that has to do with whether your state allows accessible voting um, by mail, um, if it allows you to do uh, voting by um, online, if when you go to the polls, the poll workers are knowledgeable and have the equipment for you to use the accessible voting machines that are required to be available to you as a person with a disability under ADA, that's the Americans with Disability Act. But we're hearing, as we do in each election, that there is wide variation in people's experiences. And that's why using the results from flatten inaccessibility to make change is so important. Being able to point your legislators towards sections of the report to let them know, hey, I'm not just the only person that has this issue. And also this report and our access and engagement report have recommendations in them. So we want to help inform people of what the data shows and what the recommendations from that data are. That's great. I love that you have included sort of action plans and steps forward. I think that's really important. It sure is. So for the Access and Engagement to Education survey, um, which, as you have discussed, focused on the um, impact of the pandemic on the education of our students. So can you provide an overview of sort of the purpose and intent of that project? First, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Tina Hertzberg, who actually is a Texas native, um, but has been faculty at the University of South Carolina Upstate um, for well over a decade now. And when Dr. Hertzberg saw the flatten inaccessibility announcement, she immediately contacted me and said, well, ASB work with me. We really need to understand what's happening with our children, with our children's families, and with teachers and students with visual impairments and O&M instructors. And so um, AFB gave me the blessing to just keep going with Qualtrics, um, which is a survey <laughs> program where I spend my life. And uh, Tina Hertzberg, Tiffany Wilde, and myself created the survey. It launched on April 22nd and, and closed on May 13th. So that was just as we had really shut down schools um, by the time we hit the beginning of April, just about every state had had you know closed schools because of the pandemic, and there was quite a scramble going on um, to get our children services. And unfortunately, we found many of our children were not getting services um, during that window from April 22nd to May 13th. We ended up with data representing 455 children and 1,028 professionals. Wow, that sounds like a lot of interest. That's fantastic. Well, uh, your state here in Texas, Texas folks, we got a lot of folks from Texas. You guys were one of the top three states, so thank you. And I should also say we had um, 113 of those responses were from Canadians. Oh, okay. So where did you see, uh, I know I've heard you talk about gaps in the respondents and audiences that we weren't able to reach. What, what are some of those? 
Sure. And so, Emily, I think it's real important for our listeners to know that Access and Engagement 2 is, is open right now. And you can go to accessengagement.com um, to get to the survey. And it is going to be open until November 22nd. So I want to make sure we all know that. Great. Now, and I also want to thank APH for sponsoring that website. Now, to really answer your question about the gaps, here's the deal. This is an online survey. So that means that you actually need to have internet access and a device to complete the survey. We had 20 collaborators, including AFB and TSBVI, um, and all the names that those of us in the field know, everybody was, you know, at the table to help tweet, email, blog the information about the survey, which is wonderful. But let's think about this digital divide. Let's think about economics. Um, let's think about families who um, are not in the United States legally and may not want to put themselves out there, even though it gives you an option at the end to add your email address that's not required and we can't track you down. Um, if you're trying to stay under the radar, if you don't have the resources to get on the internet, if you don't have a device, and even if you have a device and you have the internet, but you're working two jobs and trying to care for kids, um, you might just not have that 30 to 45 minutes to sit down and do the survey. So when we do access and engagement too, we really want to make sure we make it available to all. And I really want to ask the listeners here on this podcast, if each of us could reach out to one family and support them in doing the survey, whether that's reading it to them and entering their answers, whether that's offering them a, a place to come where they have internet access and a device, whether that's taking a pizza over to their house and hanging out with their kids in the backyard so that family member can undisturbed sit in the house for 30 to 45 minutes and really think and reflect on these questions and answer them, you know, without trying to, to do everything else that is involved with being part of a family. We have to make sure that we just don't have primarily white folks with internet access responding to the survey. I like your recommendations for, for bringing dinner and, and providing parents with, with 30 minutes of peace. I think that sounds fantastic. <laughs> and as a mom of a child with a visual impairment, I hope one of your staff members is going to do that for you so that you can get on there and do the survey, Emily. <laughs> well, I will certainly let you know if uh, your recommendation worked for me. But <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, knowing that the survey is out there and that it is primarily professionals that listen to this podcast, I think that's a great plug and good suggestions for them to get more variety in our responses next time around. Yeah. And I just want to just follow up yeah. on that. Dr. Catherine Bodsford, who's a member of our team, did comment, though, as a TVI or an O&M specialist, if you if you let's just say you're working with, you know, a child, um, Monique, and you're Monique's TVI or Monique's O&M or Monique's dual professional, and then you're going to Monique's family and you're saying, hey, I'll read you the survey and enter the responses. Since a lot of the responses are asking questions about you, yeah, that may be uncomfortable for families. So we might want to think about maybe reaching out to a family that we've worked with in the past. Mm. Um, maybe 
you know, reaching out to, you know, with a colleague and saying, hey, I've got three families in my district that probably could use some support. I'll swap my families with your families. You know, um, it might not be real comfortable for a family to be given um, you, the service provider, um, helping them enter their information. And one other way, I think, too, that we can help um, families, and this would work with a family you're serving, is you. we all know we use lingo. I mean, we try so hard not to use lingo, yeah. but we, you know, we, we're an alphabet soup thing, but we're also things like refreshable braille display and abacus, um, adaptive mobility device. We all, you know, we just take that stuff for granted. Um, but, you know, a family member may know that he has that black thing with the little white beads that he uses when he's doing his math, but they may not know it's called an abacus. Mm-hmm. So even making yourself as a professional of available and saying, hey, text me, call me if you get to a question that you're not quite sure what the question is asking. And I'm glad to help you with, you know, making sure that the question's clear to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So while you were looking at the data from the first round, um, what did anything stand out or surprise you about what you learned? Well, I, this is a statistic I have been sharing, Emily, because to me it is one of the most concerning statistics. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we asked TVIs about children that they were supporting in online education. Now, let's go back again. We're talking April 22nd to May 13th, where some districts maybe had literally gotten up that week. Mm-hmm. Um, but those TVIs who were supporting children in online education, 85% of the people who answered that question about, do you have at least one student who is having difficulty with accessibility in online education? 85% said yes. Yeah. And that's a real concern to our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think we all know that there are systemic issues that our kids have been struggling with and we've been struggling with as professionals for years. And accessibility is obviously one of them. What the COVID-19 pandemic um, has done for us as a field is it's giving us this very large data set. I mean, when do we get data on 455 children and 1,028 professionals? Never. Right. Giving us this data that we can then use to go to administrators, to go to procurement people, to go to policymakers and say, look, it's not just about Monique. It's not just about Roberto. It's not just about um, Ty. It's about all these children. And here are some of the challenges that they're having. And that report, again, has recommendations. So, you know, we, we really tried to lay out what the data was showing are the gaps. So in each section, we have recommendations for families. We have recommendations for educators. We have recommendations for administrators. And we have recommendations for policymakers. So... Based on those results, you know, what what did you find that schools should be really looking at closely to ensure our students are getting a free and appropriate public education during this time? So I think um, the first thing is accessibility. Yeah. The second thing is materials. Um, a lot of our professionals did not have the materials that they needed to ensure that their students had um, access to education. For example, Brill production materials. If I don't have Braille production materials, well, how can I get my student Braille? Um, And then, you know, on top of that, things that the students didn't have. Half of the children who used um, screen reader software like JAWS didn't have that at home. 
So if I'm in education and I'm using JAWS to access my books, my apps, you know, my websites, whatever it is, and I don't have the computer I use at school with JAWS, then how am I doing that? So that was another big issue. You know, we looked at early intervention, we looked at preschool, we looked at school-age children, and the report's broken out that way. But 56% of these children, 56% of the 455 children had additional disabilities or deaf blindness. And so many families and many professionals talked about the fact that this screen thing doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, My child doesn't respond well to the teacher on the screen. You know, professional saying, you know, it's really hard for me to connect, especially with my younger children or my children with multiple disabilities. And then our O&M team, um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the choir here, so we all know what O&M people do, but we know that many people don't know what O&M people do. So some of these folks are already having a hard time having administrators understand um, that they don't just go to McDonald's and drive around in their car and that walking on the playground, they're really there for a purpose. Um, but so much of what our O&M folks do is, is, you know, on the road, so to speak. I mean, the road may be the school campus or the hallway from, you know, the classroom to the cafeteria, but you can't go from the classroom to the cafeteria at home. And if that's the, you know, the route you're working on with the child um, and the child's not a screen sitter person, um, how can we effectively deliver O&M services to some of these kids? Yeah. Yeah, that has been a huge think tank item for our O&M providers since March, that's for sure. Um, so as you look ahead to the next round, around two, what are your goals for for the next steps? That is a great question. Um, I First, I want to just, Emily, I, I really should give a shout out to the team. So um, we have an absolutely phenomenal team, and that team is myself, um, Catherine Bodsford, and these are in no particular order, Catherine Brodsford, um, Tina Hertzberg, Tiffany Wilde, Justin Kaiser, Deneen Fast. Those are names folks in the field probably recognize. We have some wonderful other people. We have Michelle Hicks, who is a first-year doctoral student in Virginia. We have Jasmine um, Nichols DeGrant, who is working on her O&M um, certification at University of Kentucky with Justin Kaiser. We have Leanna Cook, who is a TBI in the Portland, Oregon area. We have my colleague, Dr. Palachanis Moore, who's going to be leading up our quantitative team. What we all want to get from access and engagement to is a better understanding of what is and is not working for our children and our professionals at this point. We want to understand more about the technologies that are being used, the different kinds of models. Um, So we ask both professionals and families, how is your child getting education? Is it online? Is it it hybrid? Is it in-person? Is it what we're homeschooling? Is it what we're calling low-tech? You know, some of our kids are getting packets sent to them um, and and telephone calls and emails. So we want to know what's working in each of those models for our children. We want to know about the technology that they're using. We have over a list of over 25 different programs and apps that teachers have been telling us kids are using. And we want to know what's being required of children and then what of those are not accessible to that child. We want to know from TVIs about the, and O&Ms about the families they haven't been able to reach and why. And we want to know from families 
about why they've opted to not have their child engaged in education through um, the TVI or O&M this year. We also want to know things about the the psychosocial impact of COVID-19, both on professionals and, and on children and families. So we have some psychosocial questions in there as well. Well, I know we definitely want the answers to those questions, too. So what sort of support do you need from partner organizations like TSBBI or from others in our field? So really, it's um, what I talked about a little while ago. So we have the website accessengagement.com. Thank you to APH for sponsoring that for us. So if you're a TBI, an O&M instructor, a duly certified professional, a family member of a child, we want you to go to that website and take the survey. If you're aware of any of those individuals who may not know about the survey, we really would like you to personally reach out to them and tell them why you believe it's really important that they participate in the survey. Don't just forward them the email, call them, drop them a note, really personalize it to let them know that their voice is so important for us to understand what is happening in the education of children with visual impairments. And the larger the sample size we can get, and the more diverse the sample size we can get, and I don't just mean by ethnicity, we absolutely want to make sure that we have um, children and professionals who represent um, Black, Asian, Latina, you know, lots of um, diversity, Native American, Pacific Islanders, But we also want diversity as far as living arrangements, as far as access to technology. Of course, we want to represent our very heterogeneous group of of learners with visual impairments from our children who have very significant additional disabilities to our students who are academically very strong. That sounds really great. Um, I hope that this will certainly help get the word out. So... You know, AFB is providing us with really important information along with all the partners, and you really have taken the lead on this, and so I personally and others are thanking you for that. But I'm just curious, when you started working at AFB, which was pre-COVID, what were you hoping to work on? (laughs) Well, Emily, I I technically retired as faculty member from the University of Arizona on January 6th, of 2020, and I started at the AFB on January 6th of 2020. So it was eight hours of retirement that I slept through. <laughs> and I um, was told when I joined that we had a couple projects um, in the works. So one of those is looking at um, hospital employees and, and healthcare workers and their knowledge around patients with visual impairments and how we better can support them. So that kind of has been a little slow project. Uh, the hospital workers have just been a tad busy. I don't know why. It might have to do with COVID. <laughs> um, we also have a blind leaders development program here at AFB, and that's where um, adults who are leaders in their profession are paired with folks that are moving towards leadership positions. And it's a one-year mentorship program around building the fellows' leadership skills. So I am doing a pilot with that group this year. And then um, very recently, we got a contract with Guide Dogs for the Blind. We just had a press release come out um, on that on October 21st. So we're going to be looking at guide dog usage in the United States and Canada and why those numbers have been pretty flat for the last couple decades. 
So those are kind of my other three projects, plus a workplace technology study where we're looking at how people with visual impairment use mainstream and assistive technology in the workplace. And that that one probably got put on hold the most because of the flattened inaccessibility and the access and engagement. But we're currently finishing up a literature review and doing some focus groups with adults who are employed. Well, there's, I keep talking to everybody around here about, you know, we're doing COVID on top of our normal jobs. And so it's, that's why I'm always curious about like, what would you be doing if you weren't inundated with the pandemic like the rest of us? I would be sleeping, Emily. And <laughs> would be eating far fewer Oreo cookies. <laughs> Boy, you and me both. Um, so, Can I give one more plug? Yes, I was just going to say, is there anything else you want to yeah. add? There is. And I want to thank TSBVI. We have a a nice person named Suzanne you put us in touch with who's helped us with getting some pictures that represent what's really happening with our kids right now and our professionals. So when you go to download the Access and Engagement report, and you can go to accessengagement.com or you can come over to AFB as well, where we also have the report um, posted, and that's afb.org forward slash accessengagement. When you look at that report or you listen to the descriptions with the alt tags of the photos, you're going to find we have a lot of rich photos, um, including students at TSBVI engaged in online education. So the next report and hopefully the one that we want to do after that in spring of 2021 are also going to need photos. And we want to represent as many children and professionals and families as we can. So we have... um, a photo release, email me at prosenbloom at afb.org. I'm happy to share that photo release with you in English and Spanish. And if you'd love to um, potentially see you, your students, um, in the next report or the one after that, we'd love to have your photos. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Getting research work like this off the ground takes a lot of time. Be sure to help us all get those survey results in. Kudos to Dr. Kirk Adams as the head of AFB for recognizing the importance and for people like Penny for carrying it forward. Also, thanks for volunteering to be with us so we didn't actually have to pay you a penny for your thoughts. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. From the TSVVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.